Welcome back to the Frothcast. I'm your host, Hendo, and this is episode 16. This episode features a cruisy conversation I had with my friend Audrey Hills, a surf-stoked mom living in Australia, a travel lord, writer, and quite the entrepreneur. Audrey has heaps to share, and it's more than inspiring. Let's go! Oh, what up, fool? Aloha and wasabi, my friends. By the time this track hits your eardrums, it should be March 30th, 2021, according to my watch and my Texas TI calculator. And that can only mean one thing, my friends. No, Kygo is not having a lunch meeting with Todd Baral. Wrong. It means uh, it's my Farkin birthday and I can bry if I want to. If you've never had a South African braai, then perhaps you are not laka, my friend. Laka kif, how's it, bro? God, I miss Jebe. Anyways, instead of being a total narcissist and wishing myself a happy birthday, I just want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast and for the amazing reviews and feedback I often get from all of you. Also, a huge thanks to all of my epic guests who have been so generous with their time and sharing their gifts. Thank you, everybody. Like, seriously, it really stokes me out. And to be honest, this podcast thing has been probably the highlight of a rather eggy year. So uh, thank you again for your froth. Thank you for listening. Thanks for the stoke. I really appreciate it. And it keeps me going. Uh, If I'm just talking to myself, that's also totally cool. But... (laughs) Thank you again. Much love. Thank you, guys. Anyways, enough with the sappy shit and the birthday stuff. Let's get on with the show, Gunther. I could not be more stoked to have my good friend Audrey Hills on the Frothcast today. Audrey and I grew up together in La Jolla, and as we eventually, as most people do, became adults, she was quite the guiding force and inspiration to me as she has accomplished and is still accomplishing many rad things. From running her blog entitled Surf Stoked Moms, which eventually turned into a women's surf camp called Sea Heart Surf Club, to writing published articles for World Travel Magazine and many others, and now developing an ultralight cooler bag made out of recycled materials called the Coolio by Everyday Makai, I can hardly keep up with all the epic things she continues to do. We talk about all of this and more So let's friggin' get into it. Please enjoy my conversation with Audrey Hills. Okay, and we are frothing live on the Frothcast with Audrey. Welcome to the Frothcast. How you going? Thanks, Hendo. I'm doing great. I'm down here in Manly Beach. Excited to be on the show. Epic. And uh, what does the future look like? I'm sure a bunch of Aussies have heard that joke plenty of times, but you're a day ahead. We got good (laughs) things coming our way. Uh, Monday is bright and sunny, um, a little bit of swell in the water and just a beautiful day all around. Awesome. I love to hear it. And you're in Manly. Do you still go to Chica Bonita? You were the one who showed me that in the first place. (laughs) That place was amazing. California burrito. I haven't been there in a while. It's like the closest thing we can get to like having a Santana's California burrito, except for that. It's like super small and it costs like $17. Okay. I remember it being legit, but uh, I'll have to go back and try. It's pretty good. Sick. Well, how close are you to Newcastle then? We're about like two hours from Newcastle and about 30 minutes from Narrabeen. 
Okay, so did you hear when the surfers got out of quarantine? Was there some kind of sonic boom when all the WSL athletes got out and said, let me get to the surf? <gasps> no, actually, that's crazy. I thought that maybe they would sound the shark alarm or something, but no, <laughs> I haven't seen any pros around at all down here because usually we have an event here in Manly, but this year they're all everywhere else. So it's been pretty quiet. Right on. Well, are you going to go to the event? Yeah, we'll for sure go to Narveen. We love going up there to watch people surf and it's such an awesome spot and you have to get tickets though. You have to like apply for tickets, but I don't really know how they could stop you from just like being on the beach. So I might be like maybe kind of gate crashing outside the, the railing or something like that. Yeah. Big Wednesday crashers style. <laughs> One of my favorite movies of all time. Well, speaking of kind of the tour and all that. Do you watch the WSL webcast a lot at all? Or? Yeah, we do. We watch some of the events. I like to watch like the events in good surf, you know, so we'll always watch pipeline at the end of the year. And since I have a little daughter who's six, like she's, she'll like, she likes to watch the women's events a lot. So we tend to do that every now and then when we remember. Right. Well, is she surfing? Yeah, she surfs. She's, uh, she's doing the, the local board riders down here and she watched Bethany Hamilton's movie Unstoppable and like became obsessed with her, decided she's going to surf pipeline and do all this stuff. So she's she's got her hero and her vision. So everything's all about Bethany. So we're surfing. Right. Oh, my God. I love that. And she's got a leg up at six years old. I mean, I didn't start till I was 10, but I do remember seeing photos of her already ripping. So keep at it, little budler. And I'm excited to see her join the like fantastic surf movement of like young women right now for me it's like so inspiring seeing like sierra kerr and sky brown and that whole crew what they're doing with the ladybirds was kind of next level does she look at them as well oh yeah we love sky brown because she's heaps into skating like she skates the half pipe and everything and so we watch sky brown because she's just like so epic and then we watch them at the wave pool and stuff yeah it's so cool women's surfing is just blowing up and the fact that they, you know, did the equal pay thing and gave everyone paying everyone the same is like unprecedented across sports. And um, it's really cool. Yeah, that was massive with the WSL and uh, good on them for doing that. I was super excited and proud to like just work for a company that has that kind of ethics. So good on you, mates there. So Audrey and I grew up together in La Jolla High School. We were the same grade. And, you know, we surfed at the same time. What do you see the difference between your daughter growing up in Australia surfing there in that environment and kind of what you grew up with in La Jolla surfing around, whether it be the beach breaks or the reefs? I mean, I don't know anyone else from my year that surfed Win and Sea with me. Like, I don't even know another girl. There was like no other girls that surfed Win and Sea with me. Can you think of anybody? I don't know. Maybe. No, I can't. <laughs> like, Yeah, it's crazy to think. And I, I loved surfing the reefs, but it was like so intimidating at first. And it really took me a long time to work up to it. I know there's more girls in the water there now, but down here, like, Surfing is just such a big part of every family and like of the moms are surfing, the kids are surfing and there there's just so many girls in the water here. And like, I don't know like what it's like been when it's been like in California this year, but here there's just like every age girl, there's little girls out there just ripping and it's really cool. I mean, it really brings everyone together and I think it just creates a different vibe in the water. Yeah, I was thinking and talking to somebody at a surf shop the other day about that, how the board riders in Australia is such a good program for having an emphasis on competition at an early age, whereas 
I think when you and I grew up, I mean, there was YMCA's and NSSA's and there was Wind and Sea Surf Club and Malibu Surf Club, but it just didn't seem as like big and prominent as it is in Australia. Do you see that first and foremost out there on the on the forefront? Yeah, well, I'm a member of a board riders here in Manly and we have around 200 members. We have about 40 kids in the under 10s and we meet every single month and it's just like such a massive like community thing. And also it it really does like foster a lot of development in the surfers that are going to end up surfing competitively because they're able to move up and they'll put some of the kids up against more competitive surfers as they get better. So there's just like whole system that's going on. Plus you have like all the junior events and um, like inner club events where you surf against different clubs. I mean, I surfed in a win and see surf club contest a few times. And like, I would be in an open women's division, like against like Debbie Beecham and Tiari who Debbie Beecham's like, you know, in her fifties and Tiari was like 10. Um, <laughs> and so down here, like, you know, we've got a age group surfing and like, there's opportunities for the kids to surf against the kids. And yeah. So it's definitely a more like competitive surfing is something that's like part of our daily day-to-day life uh, more so than once a quarter, like we did at Win Sea. Yeah. And it's kind of crazy to think about right now. I see in the surf world, there's kind of two pathways to going to a professional career. There's on the one side, there's kind of your vlogger, influencer, YouTuber style, which is posting videos. Like, I mean, J-O-B is the top of that. A couple others are doing some great work there. It's just a different route to get professional backing and notoriety and maybe like fame that way. And then there's the professional route with the contest series, you know, that you do the board riders and then the QS and then the CT. So there's kind of now two pathways. I feel like last year with COVID and everything and the like Zoom boom or whatever you want to call it with the surf boom. I don't know. It's interesting to see that that gave maybe those YouTuber influencers style on that side more of a platform to like excel since there wasn't competitive surfing last year. Luckily, it's coming back now. Yeah, I mean, that's like a it's kind of a minefield from a woman's perspective, I guess, Um, especially having a young daughter, like that whole like surfer slash influencer and not the other way around um, kind of thing is scary because I think it really like sexualizes like young girls to like make themselves look super hot in order to be one of those like influencers rather than focusing on their surfing. So that's kind of like a scary area um in my opinion yeah for sure i'm glad that people are realizing it and discussing it now but it's it's certainly been something that like a lot of these professional athletes have had to deal with and realize like we're not really going on surf trips we're going on trips where they expect us to model and do all this crap and then surfing is a bonus which is totally backwards yeah i mean like we just all saw that movie the movie girls can't surf just premiered here about like um how it was in the um late 80s and early 90s for like the pro surfing tour and also with the equal pay thing it is going to bring a lot of awareness to that and there is pressure on like the major brands to not like emphasize modeling over surfing and like you said like with Sienna Kerr and um and Sky Brown like they're like just so amazing and like powerful and like big personalities that like they're not going to be modeling. They're just going to be like showing how good they are at the sport. Yeah, they're running laps on the guys and doing airs over them as well. And I'm <laughs> freaking loving it. Yeah. You started a blog back in the day that I always remember called Surf Stoked Moms. And it was great. And I loved the writing. Can you explain what it was and what inspired you to create it? 
The Surf Talk Moms was like a, it's a blog and a community for women surfers. And it came about because I had a kid. I was, I had a baby when I was about 30 and everyone was like, oh, you're not going to surf anymore. And like, you're not going to do anything cool. You're not going to travel. And like, I've always been super into traveling. And I was like, basically like, fuck that. Like you guys are, lots of people would say like, oh, you're never going to be surfing. And in response to that, I started a blog. But at the same time, after I had my daughter, I had this like ridiculous, irrational fear when I was surfing. Like I was like, all of a sudden I was like terrified of surfing like three foot. I went to Indonesia again and I like couldn't surf Uluwatu at like head high, which I'd done like a million times. And I was just like, I couldn't understand. I couldn't get out of this fear. I was just so like locked into this headspace where surfing was freaking me out and that was making me upset and making me feel like I had lost my identity. So I started the blog because I basically decided to reverse engineer or hack the fear that was going on with the surfing. Cause I'm like, I'm a massive like Tim Ferriss nerd. So I realized that there, there had to be a way through this. So I systematically kind of created a program for myself where I learned breathing techniques. I learned about like how to handle myself in quote unquote big surf, which was for me at that point, like head high surf mm. and just like some techniques. Um, and I also like trained myself physically and I started writing about it. And when I wrote about it, I found out that like so many other women had experienced this same like weird, irrational fear after having kids. And just in general, a lot of women lacked confidence in the water when, you know, maybe their surfing ability is at an intermediate level, but in their minds, like they could barely handle like surfing small waves. So yeah, I, I really found that that resonated with a lot of people. Wow. That's awesome to hear. And from there, how long were you doing that? And are you still writing? No, I mean, I'm right now I'm so busy, like just with new projects and trying to make some money and stuff. But um, I, I did the blog for about three years and the blog actually morphed into my next sort of business, which was the Sea Heart Surf Club. Okay. Yeah. We'll touch on that in a few. I just want to ask you real quick about some kind of takeaway techniques that you mentioned about breathing and training. Is there anything that you would care to explain real quick? Uh, a lot of what I did was sort of rehearsing situations that gave me anxiety in the water. And I would do that both like on land through visual visualization and also in the water. And now, like even today, I do all this uh, breath hold training. I've done like stuff in the pool, but I also just do it. Um, we do I go to a gym called the Surfer's Gym here in Manly, which is just like amazing. And we do like apnea walks and um, I've been able to increase like my resting breath hold to like well over like two and a half minutes. Mm. And it just gives you like this confidence. So you're all just, you're just trying to like incrementally build these little things that give you confidence that, so when you get out there, you no longer think like, oh my God, I need to throw my board and I'm going to die. Like, you have the little tools in your toolkit that give you that little boost in confidence. And for the most part, you don't even use them. Like, I mean, am I ever holding my breath for two minutes and 30 seconds under a wave? No, like most hold downs are only 12 seconds. So that's like the biggest hold down you're going to get is 12 seconds. So it's sort of like building this toolkit that incrementally um, gives you confidence. And I did that through like visualization, breath training, physical training, you know, being able to paddle out the back quickly and not getting tired. And also through meditation, um, being able to get my mind in control when I was like spiraling into this thought pattern of like, oh my God, I'm going to get hit in the head. This person's not going to whatever. And coming out of that, I definitely like, you know, my neighbor lives across the street. She's like, you know, you're a very 
confident paddler and you're very confident in like aggressive situations. And I think that partially comes from surfing at wind and sea for so long, but also from doing this training, like I'm prepared to be in those situations and it, it doesn't freak me out anymore. So I'm just very calm. That's awesome to hear. I mean, we're big fans here of meditation and mindfulness and the breathing techniques and all that. So after doing this for so long, were you able to basically tell that fear to get farked after a while? <laughs> yeah, basically. I mean, it still comes up sometimes, but like, you know, there hasn't been a lot of conditions that I've seen in the last year that have freaked me out. Like I just, I'm calm. I make sure that I'm riding the right equipment for the day. That's like a massive thing. Like, you know, if it's six to eight foot out here at the beach, like I'm going to be riding a bit bigger board with more volume so I can still catch waves. And I'm just out there and I watch it and I'm calm and I'm ready to go. And it just doesn't, it doesn't come up for me anymore. And I had another kid. So I had like the whole experience of you know, the physiological changes you have and this, like the mental changes you have from having a baby. And it just didn't stop me at all. Like I didn't even, it didn't even come on the radar because I've just kind of trained it out of myself. Mm. Well, I might have to go back on surf stoked moms and do some more reading because <laughs> every time I go to North shore and the waves go oh, yeah. from like two foot to literally 15 feet in a matter of 30 minutes, my stomach still drops as soon as I see that horizon just rising. And I'm like, oh God, I'm either going to shart myself or like, I just, at that moment, I still need to talk to myself and say, all right, start trying to laugh, breathe, and just go with the flow. If you're going to get dragged, just go with it. And that's kind of all you can do at that moment. You can either panic and you lose so much breath, or you can say, all I can control right now is my breath. And I hope mother nature takes care of me. You just have to relax in those situations. But I mean, like, you know, when I'm surf coaching kid, uh, girls, like you also have to like know your limits for sure. And I think that that's really important for so many young surfers. Like, you know, don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to get absolutely flawed. That's like way out of your ability. And as you build up to those situations, like do it very like small and like step by step, like, you know, don't surfing is not something you want to jump into the deep end and just be like, Hey, I've rocked up to pipeline. I'm like ready to rip, yeah. um, <laughs> which I kind of did, but <laughs> at pipe. Yeah. I surfed, I was over there like, and it was small. Like I surfed, it was like five foot or something. And I was with like a friend who's a, on the QS and she's like, it's fine. Like you can come out, blah, blah, blah. And like, I caught like maybe four or five waves. And then like, I got one like set and just got absolutely fucked up and like spat it in the sand, dragged in. And I was like, oh man, like I just got served. So, <laughs> but I had to paddle back out. That's the most important thing. Oh God, that's right. Always paddle back out. And that same thing happened to me, but um, I wasn't so lucky. My board snapped in half into two pieces. And then I realized, you know what? I probably just shouldn't be out here as pros are just zooming past my head. And I'm like, I'm just a floating buoy here. I don't need to be in people's way, especially at pipe. So that was probably 10 years ago. And that was probably the last time I surfed pipe. Uh, it just doesn't <laughs> entice me anymore. It's got to be fun, <laughs> you know? Yeah, if it's fun and sizable and it's like two foot and there's a lot of sand on the reef, I'll consider it. But if it's proper with like proper crowd, no, I wouldn't even look at it. I wouldn't even smell it. I'm just like, no, I'm good. I'll, I'll go to Gums over here. That's my spot. I like Velzy Land. Oh, V Land. I actually go to Freddy's a decent amount when it gets big enough. Like when it's yeah. way too big, Freddy Land just down there. 
And I don't know if I'm putting the secret out, but um, you didn't hear it here. We shouldn't talk about this. <laughs> All right, moving on. Well, talking about traveling and also how Surf Stoke Moms evolved into your Sea Heart Surf Club. Let's talk about that a little bit and what exactly that was. That intrigues me just as much. Well, um, I kind of always wanted to do surf retreats. And we, since I live in Australia, we spend a lot of time in Indonesia and I was over there with my sisters and my mom quite a few years ago. And we were like, let's go check out Lombok. And so for some reason, we were like on um, Nusa Lombongan and we were like trying to get a boat to the Gillies, but we had to like charter our own boat. And this like little fisherman with like, he was like literally wearing Lululemon like stretch pants, like took us across <laughs> the Lombok Strait and like dropped us off at, um, what's the place up there, Sinjiji? Mm with all like our boards and stuff. And then we like, it turned out it was like the pinnacle of Ramadan that day. And we like took a BMO bus down to Kuda and like there was nowhere to stay. And we ended up like staying in like the gnarliest hotel ever. So the first experience of Lombok was like such a culture shock coming from Bali. But after a while I started to be like, oh my God, this place is just like so amazing. Like we um, surf so many waves that were much more suited for like a surfer, like, you know, intermediate plus surfer, like it and less crowded and more forgiving than, you know, surfing down on the um, peninsula there. I gradually kind of just started to really like Lombok and we met like a local family there and got introduced to all the local boys. And after that, we were just like hooked on Lombok. So we've been there like 10 times. Mm. And I was doing the blog and meeting all these women that wanted to learn more about like fear techniques. And I was like, wow, I should do a trip to Lombok. So I started putting together these trips to go over to Lombok and they were super successful because um, it really gave these girls like a chance to surf reefs and like more critical waves without like surfing like super gnarly waves. And it was really great for coaching. And there's a lot of local guides and surf coaches that were really amazing there. So we were able to sort of incorporate using the local community. And I would be there just sort of teaching the breathing and like the fear techniques. Yeah. So that became my little business. And we were set to go on another trip to Lombok on like the end of March. So exactly like a year ago, everyone on my trip was like, we're still going to go. And then they were like, you guys aren't going anywhere. Like That's it. You're staying here. You're locked in. <laughs> uh, I was kind of same for me. I was supposed to go to Oz and all that. I mean, different story, but we can all relate with that. It's rad to see that like your blog that you're kind of started to do as fun, but also a way for you to power through that fear eventually turned into something that provided you to go travel and share that with other people, which is phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I've always been trying to work like the side gig into the main gig, you know, and kind of like build out my business based on like what I wanted my life to look like. And since we were already doing all these Indonesia trips, I'm like, you know, I could really spend a week here showing these women this amazing place that I've had such good experiences with as part of like my business and like my family's like traveling normal travel style. Mm -hmm. So how many women were on these trips? I would take like um, the magic number was sort of eight, but I think I had one of them. I had ended up having like 14 people on it. That was a bit too big, but there's a massive thing. Like in Australia, there's this organization called Surfing Moms, which is like a mom's group for surfers, basically. And everyone in these these groups, they trade off with their husband. They like send their husband to Indo on a boat trip for the 10 days and then they go on a surf trip for 10 days. It's like 
a full like cultural exchange thing. That's so sick. Yeah. I and mean, it's like, because so many of us also in Australia are expats and like, we don't have family here. Like there's not a lot of grandparents around like to take the kids. So everyone just kind of like switches off. Um, it was mostly Australians. And then my last trip was going to be quite a few Americans, which was cool to show them a place like Lombok, which is just like so far away and so different if you've never been there. Yeah. To be honest, I've been to Bali nearly six plus times and I don't know why, but for some reason I haven't left the main island and I'm kicking myself in the arse here that I never have because everyone I talk to says amazing things about Nusa Lambangan and Lombok and so many other islands, the Gillies. Which of those is your favorite? Is it Lombok? Is that why you guys do the camp there? So we had this epiphany one time we were, I was with my partner and my daughter and we were staying above Bingen and it was like three to four foot. We woke up at 6 AM and there was like 40 people in the water. And we were like, oh my God, like we are over this. <laughs> and that day we booked a flight and we started doing outer island trips. So we just started going to different places. Like we're like, we're not doing this anymore. Like we'll come to Bali. We'll eat and hang out and see our friends. And I usually get a haircut and then we're out of here. So um, we went like in 20, was that 2019? Yeah, no, 2018. I don't remember. Whatever, before COVID, we went to like Java. We went to um, Sumatra. I've been to East Timor. We really love Lombok because of the families we've gotten to know there and just like it does have like a little bit of Bali vibe. Like there are some like really cool restaurants and some really cool scenes going on there and like really creative individuals living there that we've gotten to know. Plus there's a lot of variety in waves. You have a lot of choices like from that Kuda area, you can choose from like 10 different places to go with different waves. And it is a bit like less gnarly, which is cool. But we went to, um, we went to like a remote Island in the Telos a couple of years ago and the resort was called surfing village. And that was like, probably the best trip we've ever been on. Like it was just so insane, just empty. There's just nobody there. It's just you and the people um, from the camp and that's it. God, I'm jealous that I had one opportunity like that in my life. I went to the Mentwise. I think it was the same year I saw you guys when I was in Sydney. That same year, my buddy Phil Dog and I had done our Southeast Asia trip and we were like in Hong Kong. We're like, let's just go to the freaking Mentwise. So we booked a trip. It was February, which is super odd season showed up and uh, there was actually waves, but there's like one boat each time and to have lineups like telescopes and scarecrows yourself was pretty mental. Yeah. I mean, I hear that that off that kind of shoulder season is really good, but um, all I, I cringe when I hear about, well, I'm just jealous, I guess, when I hear about the people that kind of like ended up over there this year and there's like nobody around. I was like, oh, <laughs> that would be a dream. <laughs> Yeah. Going back to my episode with my buddy, Brett, who talks about Bali and it's relatively, it was manageable when he was there, but he had a session at Karamas that was sounded like a dream session where yeah. it was just him and a couple locals like Ty Buddha and uh, Kobe Aberton in them just scoring. I would choose either the Mentalize or probably Bali if I could go back and do it. What was Manly like during the whole lockdown situation? Well, from a surfing perspective, it was crazy because all of a sudden like all these city people are at home working and like nobody has anything to do so they're just surfing like the surf would be pumping and it would just be so freaking busy that we were just like oh man like this is heavy it was a very popular time to pick up surfing i guess but from like lockdown perspective like we did have quite a few weeks where we just were didn't see anyone and we were in full on lockdown and 
one of the only things we could do was surf, but then they would be on the loudspeakers, like being like, we're going to shut the beaches. If you guys don't social distance in the water and you could only like surf for a half an hour to an hour. And then you got to get out. And like, everyone is just like hanging out on the beachfront, but like pretending that they're like acting like they're exercising. So everyone's like just doing squats, like, as they, like just to be outside basically <laughs> like, with a beer in hand doing a six ounce, 12 ounce curl. I actually, I probably shouldn't say this, but I did get caught with another mom drinking a beer on the beach while the kids were like running around and the police like saw us from far away. And then we like tried to pretend we were like exercising and they were like, we saw you drinking. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we got <man>. busted. <laughs> Gnarly. So it was a fine for that and everything? We didn't get a fine though. They didn't get a fine. I mean, like they're all, they're so like the cops here are like nice and reasonable. It's not quite as scary you know, as it is over there. So yeah, it was interesting because I am, I didn't realize how deeply like Americans, like we have like, uh, you know, like we're proud and free and we believe in freedom and we don't take um, like authority literally, I guess. (laughs) And here, like everyone was very like, okay, so the government said that you have to stay inside and you're not going to do anything. And everyone's just like, okay. And they didn't question it. And that's why you know, the lockdowns have been so effective here because there is a cultural compliance that we don't have as much in the States. Yeah, that's something will be forever an unsolved mystery to me. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. Um, I just don't get it. But looking at what Oz is doing now and looking at what World Surf League is doing, they're able to have events. I saw other friends who are in West Oz, like going to DJ festivals. And yes, it was a lot of hard work. Melbourne especially sounded like it was super gnarly with their lockdowns they could barely go outside maybe go on one walk a day but now it's basically open and you had mentioned that most of the if not all the restrictions are now lifted where you are in new south wales all restrictions are lifted which means like you can go to the pub and like stand up and drink like and just basically do anything like i walked down to the beach last night and there was like a group of South Americans playing like percussion instruments, like a full band. And there was like a hundred people watching. And I was like, whoa, like this is crazy. I haven't seen anything like this in a year. It was like so cool to see, you know, people gathering again. And of course this is all, you know, seeing mascara, we don't have to wear masks. So, you know, Mm. I put a little video on my um, story and then I like immediately almost felt bad because I always like feel for my friends back in the States who are necessarily able to you know, to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, we applaud you, Australia. Good on you. And hopefully we can follow suit sooner than later. Who the hell knows? Um, I've talked <laughs> and thought a lot about COVID and uh, it's it's definitely dark and eggy for me. So let's go back to your traveling a little <laughs> bit just to escape from that whole world. One of the things that I absolutely loved, like these are three really cool things that you did. So you started a blog and then you went and did Sea Heart Surf Club and you were teaching people your techniques to conquer that fear. And then you continued to write when you traveled to all these places and those articles that you wrote eventually got published. So like, do you sleep at all? And let's talk a little bit about these articles that you had written. Uh, I sleep a little bit and it's getting worse. Like I sleep less. Um, no, I, so yeah, I've always like done a lot of writing. I, you know, you know, I went to law school. I went to University of San Diego and I graduated and I passed the bar and I literally took the money that they give you to um to take the bar and like fund your studying. Um and I used it to go to Indonesia and I passed the bar without using the money. 
after that, I was like, oh, I don't know about being a lawyer, but I've taken those skills that I learned in law school, which one of which is to, to write well, and I've used them throughout my life. And I've always liked to blog and taken lots of notes. And I started to try to sell my stories, um, of course, pre-COVID and got a few of them picked up and um, was doing pretty well building a portfolio with that. And hopefully someday we'll be able to continue writing about Indonesia was one of the places I wrote the most about. and. Um, also Mexico and Costa Rica and all over the place. So yeah, it's pretty cool. I was um, pretty inspired and obviously proud and impressed by all your accolades and acclaim and everything you continue to do. My biggest thing, like, you know, I used to have that Surf Ambassador Hendo blog back in the day, and I just pick up a bunch of things and I get decent to good at them. And then I just move on to something else. I don't know if it's my ADD or what. Do you find like when you reach a certain point of doing something, uh, I, I think a few people talk about this. I think Seth Godin calls it the dip, I think, where you're like so close to like getting past that last hurdle. And it seems like for me, that's kind of where I give up. Do you encounter those hurdles and do you power through them or do you have techniques to like move on through them? Um, you know, that's something I'm always working on. Sometimes things just sort of have like a natural ending. Like, you know, I, when COVID came and I had this like trip and I had to refund a bunch of people, I was like, you know, everyone kept asking me, are you going to push through and like try to do trips in Australia? And for me, like it just didn't work as well. And I had to choose to just like, okay, I'm going to start working on something else because this is like not really feasible right now. And it, it's it's going to push my vision in a different direction than what I really want. So I'm going to put this one on hold. You know, another thing is always like the financial pressure of just like trying to make one of these things like really come off. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that um, at the moment, I'm trying to put my head down and get through um, the project that I'm working on currently and like just give it as much as I possibly can um, to get it there and um, not stop. But I think I'm, you know, I've learned to be pretty relentless because you have to hear no like 20 times to get to a yes. And again, like being a massive Tim Ferriss fan, like I know that he submitted that um, four hour work week book that became like a New York Times bestseller. He seriously sent it to like 40 publishers and they all told him no, 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 no. And then he finally found the one and like look where he ended up. So um, you really just got to like shove that shit. Just keep going. <laughs> up the hill. That's what I'm learning. I eventually uh, want to start doing stand up. So I learn. Oh, no way. Yeah. I realize that eventually I'm just I want to start and I just want to bomb. I want to get it out of the way because I know you have to fail and bomb so many times. Some comedians, yeah. it takes like 10 years to get decent, you know, so I'm kind of looking forward to failing for once and like accepting that and being OK with that. Have you listened to um, Jerry Seinfeld on The Tim Ferriss Show? No, I don't think so. I'll have to check that out. You got to listen to it. Jerry Seinfeld is like so amazing, but he's like, you know, stand up comedy is like the toughest of tough disciplines, like the hardest creative thing you could possibly do. And yeah, you have to like absolutely get thrashed and then come out the other side. So good luck with that. It's like surfing pipe. <laughs> I know. It's so gnarly. It's like, oh, I'm going to learn how to surf, but I'm going to go to Jaws first. Uh, okay. <laughs> Well, you mentioned a little bit about a current project you're working on, and I would love to hear a lot about it. So firstly, what is your latest project going on? So during peak COVID last year, I was like, I need to do something different and I'm going to like do a pivot here. I'm around a lot of people that are doing startups and have worked a lot in product based businesses, like actually developing a product. And I wanted to make my own product. So um, I did a lot of market research and I came up with this 
an ultralight cooler bag, which is basically born out of two things. One is um, traveling around the world and showing up to places like Hawaii and Baja and Lombok and being like, we don't have a cooler to put our beers in and our food in. So let's go buy like this piece of shit styrofoam thing or like this bag from Foodland that's going to rip into a million pieces and then like use it for the trip. And then like, what do we do with it? Do we bring it back? Do we throw it away? Do we try to find someone who wants it? And the other thing that's expired, the cooler bag that I'm making is like just days at here in Manly or down at Windsea, like where you need to have just like your little afternoon kit of like a few beers and a little bit of food. And since I have kids, I have to have like a little bit more food just to get you through the sunset. So you don't have to leave when everybody gets hungry and pissed off. And, you know, to really just like cap off a good day of surfing. Um, I always like to have my little supplies and be super prepared. So I went into development of this cooler bag. And the other thing I was trying to achieve with it was to use mostly recycled um, materials. Mm -hmm. So I've come up with a design. I got a guy from Yeti to help me, an ex-Yeti employee to help me like actually make it functional. And now I've gone to the manufacturer and I've gotten a prototype and I'm actually launching the product on um, Kickstarter. I'm doing a crowdfunding campaign in the middle of April. So hmm. that's really exciting and really, really, really scary. <laughs> For sure. I can imagine. And what are you calling it? Um, the bag itself is called the Coolio mm-hmm. because it's sort of like a portfolio for cold things because it's a, a slim, low profile bag that a lot of my customers have said would be amazing for sneaking beers down to the beach or into concerts. <laughs> that's one of the um, sort of the features of it is it looks more like a bag than it does like a cooler. Um, and the company is actually called Everyday Makai. Mm. In Hawaii, Makai is a directional term that means towards the ocean. Yep. And since my family basically goes to the beach every single day, it's to the beach every day. We also named our son Makai. So it's got a bit of a, a personal um, a personal ring to it. Sick. Yeah. So it's a, a super crazy project to get going. And I got a lot of work to do. But um, yeah. I love that. And I'm really excited for you. And I love how, I mean, going back to North Shore and the relation with Mackay and the beach, like the North Shore is some of the most beautiful beaches in the world. And to see anywhere around the world, tourists going to a beach, treating it as a playground, whether it's beers or trash or whatever. And every day that we can, we walk around and try to pick up trash. But to see that, I think now that there's more surfers than ever coming down to these beaches, we need to really teach people about sustainability and recycling and treating our oceans with respect, just taking care of it. And so it sounds like this bag is a perfect way for people to kind of just throw a couple things in and then take what you bring back home yeah. and not leave it on the beach. Yeah. So that's our our slogan is um, BYO everything. So mm. The, the idea with this bag is that instead of rocking up to the beach and being like, oh, shit, I didn't bring any food or drinks. I got to go up and buy like a lot of people will go to the beaches where there's like a concession stand or they just buy a bunch of plastic wrapped shit, eat it and then throw it all away, you know, or leave it on the beach. Even worse, you bring all your stuff from home in your reusable containers and you plan ahead so that you're not using plastic. And one of the really cool things that's just came through is that we are partnering with the Changing Tides Foundation. Have you heard of them? Yes, I have. Yeah. So we're going to be doing 1% for the planet where we donate 1% of our profits to Changing Tides. And they do like the plastic swear jar initiative um, every year in April that 
you know, really gets people to stop using single use plastics and be aware of where single use plastics are in their lives. And that's um, something I'm super passionate about. And, um, you know, by making this product, I want to have something that is a lifestyle sort of disruptor that will remind people that, you know, it is better to bring your own food and not to use plastic when you're out. Um, but at the same time, we will be giving back to changing tides. Right. Well, I look forward to when you are launching it because I've been going to Northside Scripts with the boys down here quite a good bit. And um, <laughs> NSL 1210. <laughs> <laughs> NSL Luke's. We could certainly use a cooler to replenish us when we're thirsty or we need some food. And to know that it's going to a good cause is even that much better. Yeah. Awesome. That's so cool. I think we will be launching. Uh, my tentative date is April 13th. So I'm in a, a big push at the end here to get everything done and get it out there. Rad. In the meantime, how can people go and support the Kickstarter or go check out that whole deal? I would probably say the best way to do it is on Instagram. It's um, at Everyday Mackay. Um, that'll have all the information about the bag and the links. And um, the early Kickstarter should be live like in the next couple of days. And then the, it'll go officially live on April 13th. Awesome. Well, I think we need to do some follow up there for a whole episode dedicated to that and sustainability. I think it's awesome. And yeah, how sure. many uh, how many Instagram accounts do you have? I mean, you've got <laughs> so much going on. I mean, I know I have like probably 10 secret ones, but you probably have like quite a few professional ones. <laughs> yeah, I got a few. And, uh, and I also, you know, I probably should even say this, but like I have a, a real a business where I do professional services, like I do copywriting and social media stuff when I'm not in the middle of a launch. So I'm on like a bunch of other people's Instagrams too. So I might get sick of my writing at some point, but. <laughs> Rad. Well, uh, you know what? The Frothcast is always hiring here. It's just a one person <laughs> show over here. So <laughs> take a look at my Instagram and uh, let me know what I'm doing wrong. One man and his dog. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. I would love a dog around here. I, it's just me and my bobbin head doll, Mick. That's pretty much it. And I, I got a Roomba too. It's really nice. What's a Roomba? It's like one of those electric robot things that uh, vacuum thing that kind of has wheels and it goes around (laughs) your house. It's got a mind of its own. That's your friend, homie. (laughs) Yeah, that's my buddy. No, I've uh, I I swear I have friends. I swear. Yeah, it's been nice to like catch up with La Jolla buddies and surfing. Are you coming back here anytime soon? Well, you know, that's a that's the magic ten thousand dollar question. Um, we are in Australia allowed to leave at the moment. I don't know if everybody knew that. It's pretty crazy, pretty shocking to most Americans that we don't have the freedom to travel. I am very, very um, ants in my pants. Like I'm ready to go whenever I can figure out the loophole that'll get me out of here. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I wanna. I, I would like to be back by the end of this year to see my family and you know, catch up with everybody because it's, it's hard. Yeah. Likewise, for sure. Well, I have really enjoyed talking with you and we could go on forever. We have so much more to talk about as you have so many great ventures, but I kind of wanted to pay it forward and inspire some of the people listening. If you have any advice for aspiring writers, entrepreneurs, travelers, lawyers, or just general, like multifaceted legends, such as yourself, uh, what kind of inspiration would you like to give people? If you want to go through with something, you have to like never, ever, ever give up. You just have to keep trying. And I know that's like a Winston Churchill quote, but I have this story in mind. Once I was surfing wind and sea and I was getting like completely plummeted and also not catching any waves. Like I try to surf the inside, all the groms get the waves. I go back to the outside, all the longboards get the waves. I was just like so frustrated. I'm like, I'm going in. And I was talking to actually Tiari, who's what at the time was like 10 or 11. And she's like, 
you have to go back out and catch another wave. Like you can't just give up and go in, you know? And that was like such a funny moment that I always remember, you know, because life seems so hard when you get older and things seem to hold you down so much. But like, if you just keep trying and keep going, you'll get another chance and you'll eventually find your way through. Mm. I absolutely love that because, um, especially with this podcast, like I started it in 2017, took like a four year hiatus. And (laughs) now that I'm on this momentum of just continuously putting it out every week for me, like, I just want to stay consistent and do it. And this is the one thing that like, has kind of been my saving grace right now in this very bizarre time over here in the States. So I love that advice. Uh, I'm going to take it with the podcast. I'm going to take it with the standup. No matter how many people heckle me and talk shit, uh, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> You'll be great. Oh, my God. You've always been like the most hilarious person. So I can't, I'm coming to the show, the comedy store in La Jolla. I'll be there. Yeah, that's my dream. I have, uh, I'm <laughs> learning so much now about like all the comedians that have been in and out of there in our lifetime and like Bobby Lee is from Poway and he's like one of my favorite comedians. He has a fantastic podcast called Bad Friends. And he started as a doorman at the La Jolla Comedy Store. Really? And I'm just like, now I'm kind of writing them on the DMs like, hey, do you guys need a uh, dishwasher or a doorman? Like, <laughs> I just want to start. <laughs> yeah, I just want to start. I want to be a glassy or whatever. I'll take it, you know? Just don't be Polly Shore. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. We, uh, I, I ran into him a few times in LA at the old, uh, poop snap jungle, but, uh, classic stories for another time there. Polly. <laughs> oh my God. All right. <laughs> no, that's so good. Oh my God. So classic. Well, Audrey, I can't thank you enough for your time, your inspiration, all your insight. This has been like so nice and refreshing to talk to you. And I definitely have to have you back again soon. Thank you. Hendo. In the meantime, uh, where can frothers find you and your five Instagram accounts? Um, well, check out the Coolio at Everyday Mackay. And also my um, personal craziness is on um, at Surf Stoked Moms. Legend. Well, thank you so much. Mahalos for your aloha and good on you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Mahalo. All right, froth dogs and hep cats. That's it for this episode, my friends. Thanks again to Audrey for her time and inspiration. And make sure you support her Coolio project on Kickstarter and scope the Insta for the details at Everyday Makai, that's M A K A I, and check out her frothy fun on Insta at Surf Stoked Moms while you're at it. Don't forget, the Rip Curl Newcastle Cup is just around the corner, so do not forget to pick your friggin' fantasy teams. And while you're at it, join my WSL league called the Frothcast Fam. Winner of this event will get a 12er of Newcastle at least. Chug, 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 chug. What's that, Gunther? Ah, get farked, mate. My assistant, Gunther, wants me to tell you to rate and review the Frothcast on Apple Podcasts, but I'm telling him to hell with you, you freaking kook. Ah, Gunther, get lost, buddy. Anyways, it's my birthday, and I just want you guys, I want the homies to go out there and have some fun, have a drink, have a Todd Barral, do it in my name, enjoy yourselves, keep the froth alive, my friends. Much love to you all. Stay safe. Stay healthy and stay frothy. Oh, yeah, baby. (laughs) All right. Much love. See you guys. Thanks. Bye.